Have you ever noticed that technology tends to kill really cool jobs? There are a number of jobs that have disappeared because of technological advances that we've had. Uh, I looked at a list just the other day, and one of the jobs that has gone away that I'm kind of disappointed is that of pin setter. Have you ever heard of that? Anybody know what a pin setter is? Okay, a few of you know what a pin setter is. I don't think you actually experienced one in person, but uh, there used to be a job where when you would go bowling, someone would sit at the end of the lane before machines and like reset your pins manually for you. I'm kind of sad that's gone. Uh, I think that would be a cool job to have. But we, we can't have that anymore. And I think that sometimes whenever we think of other ideas about vocations, even in the Bible, it sounds a little bit like a pin setter. We're like, I don't even know what that is. And, and one of those jobs is shepherding. Now, I know that we know that shepherding is a job that uh, is all over the, the Bible if we've read through it, but many of us have not actually ever had to shepherd, and so we don't really know a lot of the idiosyncrasies that are involved in what it means to be in shepherd. Well, this morning as we begin, I wanted just for us to think a little bit about what a shepherd is, because we are going to be thinking a lot about shepherds, not just of sheep, but of humans. And so before we get there, I think we need to understand what a shepherd is. Uh, There's a great book, it's a a biblical theology of of shepherding, that goes by the title, Shepherds of My Own Heart, by Timothy Laniac. And in this book, he basically goes through and and in one chapter explains what it would have been like to be a shepherd in the first century or in the ancient Near Eastern world. And he begins to to describe what that would have been like. And he says that shepherds are... Uh, basically those who put sheep to pasture, which is where we get the Latin word for pasture from. So uh, they are shepherds who care for sheep. And Israel, their shepherds, have a long history of shepherding sheep. We're known for that. Their favorite sheep was the Awasi fat tail, a sheep with uh, which they would um, care for with their staff and their rod. The staff was used to protect and guide them, and then the rod was used to sort of beat off enemies that might come in from outside. They would have beat off thieves and wolves with their rod. Now, good shepherds grew their flocks, and they knew their sheep. That was one aspect of a good shepherd. In fact, Laniac says in terms of birth, uh, they knew their, their sheep in terms of birth, health history, eating habits, And other idiosyncrasies, I struggle to remember my kids' birthdays. Now, John's today. His birthday's today. You can tell him happy birthday. But I always feel like I'm in trouble when people say, really quickly, spit out your kids' birthdays. These shepherds knew their sheep, knew their birthdays, knew their health histories, probably would have known their social security numbers if they had those. And one of the most striking characteristics of the shepherd-flock relationship is the control over which the shepherds exercised uh, with them was actually through either their voice or their whistle. The sheep actually knew the shepherd in such a way that when they heard that, that voice or that whistle, they knew they needed to respond because that was their shepherd who cared for them. Interestingly, the role of shepherd was considered lowly, dirty work, and yet... What we find as we read through the the annals of of history, what we find is that different civilizations, Mesopotamia, Egypt, the Greeks, all used the shepherd that was such a lowly job as a fitting description of what it looked like to be a great king, though a great king would probably never hang out with a normal shepherd. 
And these shepherds were actually seen as a metaphor for what it looked like for you to be a a good king or a good God. And so we find that metaphor used often throughout history and even in Israel. Now the worth of a shepherd king was always directly related to how well he reflected the character of his shepherd God. So during the Exodus, you'll remember that God was the great He was the great shepherd, and Moses was his under-shepherd who carried his staff to lead the human sheep of God to the green pastures of the promised land. That was God shepherding his people out of slavery and into green pastures. So that's why David rightly said in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have a great shepherd, I have the best shepherd, God is my shepherd. Human shepherds or leaders often failed in the Old Testament, like the bad shepherds that we all remember from Ezekiel 34. Those shepherds who we find were not like God. Uh, Good shepherds feed, protect, and care for the sheep. But bad shepherds beat and eat the sheep. And in Ezekiel 34, 23, God responds to their great shepherd, to their bad shepherds, promising a great shepherd And this great shepherd that was coming would set up over them, he says God himself as their great shepherd would set up over them one shepherd, an under-shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So he promised you have bad shepherds today, but good shepherds are coming someday. Now I think this explains why Jesus in John 10.4 comes and he, he tells them, I am the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd that God promised you. I've come for you. I am the good shepherd. He says there, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. Now we're back in our Hopeful Exile series in 1 Peter 5, 1-5. Where Peter is turning to exhort the elders of the church of Asia Minor and modern day Turkey. Who've experienced a wide range of fiery trials which God has used to purify and prove his people. And, and, and as he's speaking to them, he is speaking to them as his shepherds. And he says to these elders, what he wants them to do is they seek to care for his sheep. Now you'll notice if you look in the text really quickly, that our, our verses begin with this word, so. And that so that begins our verse, I believe, is signaling that Peter is building on the discussion that began back in 1 Peter 4.12. Concerning faithfulness amidst suffering. So what's the connection between suffering faithful, faithfully and shepherds shepherding faithfully? I don't think that he's saying that your shepherd should be a cause of more suffering. No, I think in, in fact what he's trying to say is, is that within the context of suffering, you should do, be doing that in community and you ought to have shepherds who are faithfully walking you through that. So I think what Peter has in mind here, and this is our big idea, it's that Christians Christians need good shepherds to look after them until the chief shepherd returns. Christians need good shepherds to look after them until the chief shepherd returns. That's what I want to think about this morning. Good shepherds are a good gift from the great shepherd of our souls to protect against external threats like this church was facing. And we see this first. uh, Notice in verse 1 that we see a message from a shepherd to shepherds. Now, I think this is important. You want to to pay attention to the way that Peter is going to describe himself, because I think that even though he's just describing himself, 
And you might think he hasn't gotten to what he's told us to do yet. I think even in his description of himself, he's telling you a little bit about what it looks like to be a good shepherd. He's already modeling even as he's describing. So notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says this again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. We're going to be thinking about this this morning, but as we begin, I as a shepherd need the great shepherd's help. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask that he would help us this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come before you, we become before you our great shepherd God and we praise you. We praise you because you are the God who has indeed led us to still waters. You are the God who has led us to green pastures. You are the the God who has led us to your very son. He is our chief shepherd. And Father, we praise you. We praise you for him today. But Lord, as we come to your text, we need your help because our hearts, they are prone to wander and we feel it. And so God, we pray this morning that our hearts would not leave the Lord that we love, but that you would draw us near to you by the power of your spirit and through your word. Do this for the glory of your name, we do pray. Amen. So as we see here, you'll notice in verse one that Peter specifically exhorts the elders, which is really part of the the vocabulary of leadership in the local church that we find in the Bible. Now, you'll notice if you continue to read through the New Testament, elders are also called elsewhere overseers, uh, the word that the KJV will use uh, for bishop, and shepherds, uh, also elders, uh, or another word for pastors. So shepherd and pastor, same thing. And Peter uses all three words here in these verses to describe this single office of what it looks like to be one of the leaders in the church. And we have a number of elders here at Trinity Bible Church. In fact, if you're an elder, you want to just go ahead and stand up so people can just visually see that we actually have elders because the Bible says so. There we go. There's one, two, three, some of you, they're shy, they're humble. Very good. Thank you, men. These are your elders, uh, brothers that I am so grateful that we have leading in this congregation. We have been super blessed with godly elders. And I'm so excited that we also have other godly men who are qualified coming up who will serve us in the future. Praise God for that. That's an evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. But as we think about this, um, there are a number of words that are used for elders. It's good to know that. Um, In fact, I remember when Dr. Carson was recently here, Dr. Don Carson, uh, DA to some of you, and he was talking, we were talking, and he said, you know, um, Josh, you don't have to call me doctor, you can just call me Don, which I go by the rule, I I call you doctor until you you tell me not to. And so I said, all right, he said, so you can call me Don or your eminent, illustrious Bishop Carson of Chicago Shire. And you know me, I thought that was awesome. So when I introduced him, I introduced him as the illustrious bishop. And he told me not to do that, as I was saying it, with his eyes. (laughs) We didn't even need to verbalize it. I got it. It was Don from there on out. But here's what's fascinating. The apostle Peter, likewise you'll remember, was that apostle who was jockeying with other disciples about the position of who would be greatest in the kingdom during the earthly ministry of Jesus. But here take note of the palpable humility and the way that he describes himself. He doesn't ask them to call him apostle. He doesn't say, call me pope or illustrious bishop. Instead, he describes himself as three things. He says, I'm a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker 
of the glory that is to be revealed. And I think we need to consider each of these. First, notice that he is a fellow elder. Peter is a fellow elder. Did you see that he said that he is exhorting them? He is exhorting the elders among you. So he's speaking to a church as a fellow elder. Now, Acts 14 tells us that Paul and Barnabas, when they were doing their missionary journeys and planting churches, established multiple elders in the churches that they planted. In Acts 20, the apostle Paul handed over the mantle of authority to elders in the local church in Ephesus. And then later you'll remember that whenever he is writing to the pastors Timothy and Titus, he says, I want you to go and establish elders, plural, in all of the churches, uh, in the churches that you are in. Now, Peter also highlights the elders here, saying there are plural over you. They are the leadership. But notice he uses this little phrase, who are among you. Did you notice that? Sometimes you miss these little details that really, I think, are important. Because notice that not only he says, who are among you, specifying them, but he keeps repeating that. Did you notice in verse 2, he says, again, those who are among you. And then he is, again, really careful to say, you're um, elders, and you need to watch over those who are in your charge. In other words, there are a specific group of people that he is saying these pastors are responsible over. Not all people, they are not universal you know, pastors over everybody that is a Christian, but instead those in this local place who have committed to them in leadership. I believe Peter here is highlighting the significance of having embodied pastors who exercise local church autonomy to dwell uh, in this church. It's almost as though Peter is saying pastors need to actually see you to oversee you. Does that sound profound? I hope that, have I lost somebody today? Let me slow down. I think that you actually need a pastor who sees you with his eyes to oversee you. Is that complicated? I think we're done here. I I think it's almost as though Peter, if he were living today, might say, I don't think that it's right for a presbytery who's way far from you, to oversee you, who doesn't see you. Or uh, he might say something uh, to the effect of, I don't think a a podcast can be your pastor, right? Like you need actual people over charge of your soul. I'm really trying to be really basic here. I hope I'm not losing anybody. But I don't have time to dwell here. I think Peter is basically saying you need shepherds, and those shepherds need to be over your soul's in your whole person. Also take note that rather than speaking down to them as an apostle, he comes alongside them as a fellow elder. Did you see that? He calls them a fellow elder. He speaks as a shepherd to other shepherds. And he does so in front of the sheep. He's telling the sheep about how he's talking to the shepherds, which had to bring a lot of confidence in those shepherds about the way that Peter was speaking about him and them in front of the congregation. That means that this is for shepherds and sheep, even though he's speaking to shepherds. Have you thought about that? You might not be a pastor or aspiring pastor, but you still need to know how it is that God thinks about his shepherds. And the way that we know that is through God's word. So notice, second, that Peter's also describing himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He literally, Peter, watched Jesus suffer and die, and then he ran. In fact, Peter highlights the meaning of this in 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25, the meaning of the suffering of Christ, his death. 
He says, he himself, same letter, 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25, he says this, he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like straying sheep. Do you hear like the, the Isaiah 53 imagery going on here? But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see it? The, the, the shepherd who laid down his life for you, to save you, to rescue you. Now just think about this. Jesus is not only the good shepherd. He's that. That's important for this morning. But he is also the sheep who laid down his life for the sins of all of God's human sheep to rescue and restore them. You see this? The, the shepherd who is also a sheep. Isn't that the promise that God made during the Exodus? In Exodus 12, 3? When God's spirit came in judgment, taking the life of every firstborn, except those who took blood and covered the doorpost of their house in what? Lamb's blood. So that this door, this entranceway into the people of God was covered with the blood of the lamb, which brought protection to them. A lamb's blood protected them. And afterwards, every year, Israel continued to commemorate this Passover event by sacrificing a lamb on the footstool of God in the temple on Yom Kippur, that day of atonement for the sins of God's people. I mean, wasn't God preparing us for a day when the shepherd himself, this is beautiful, would come and become a sacrificial sheep to rescue God's other sheep? We needed our shepherd God to take on a sheep-like humanity to sacrifice himself in our place to satisfy God's just wrath for our sin to both save and vindicate his justice and thus his goodness. What kind of humility is this that God would take on human flesh to save frail humanity who was created a little lower than the angels? See, that's why John Stott calls Jesus our paschal lamb. He is our sacrificial Easter lamb. And how much has changed here for Peter as he is looking at Jesus, not as the cross is approaching, but as the resurrection has come. Do do you hear it? I mean, you'll remember before Jesus died, uh, he was the one who denied Jesus three times before a little girl. But you'll remember after the resurrection how everything changed, how he was transformed from cowardly Peter into confessing Peter. Uh, You'll remember that the risen Jesus then asked Peter three times again, which I don't think is a coincidence. In John 21, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responded, yes, each time. And Jesus responded, feed my lambs, in verse 15. And then tend my sheep, in verse 16. And then feed my sheep, in verse 17. And finally, in verse 19, follow me. See, I think Peter's already telling us what good shepherding looks like. This is good stuff. It, it gets better, though. It's not just this is what good shepherding looks like. Notice that he points us forward to the great day when the shepherd is coming. He, he says, Peter is also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's the third way that he describes himself. He's a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So it's not just looking at the death of Jesus. It's looking forward to his return. Of course, I think that Peter is pressing the attention of these elders towards the return of Jesus Christ, which is going to be full of glory. 
See, he reminds them that life's journey may take them straight through the valley of the shadow of death. But the destination, catch this, it's greater glory. It's greater glory that is coming with the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I love the hope that is in this. Humiliation at the cross leads to exultation at the resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is coming back. Tears and fears will be transformed into joy and glory. That's the day that we look forward to. So Peter's not even talking to the elders about the elders yet specifically, but I believe that he's already modeling good shepherding for them. See, good shepherds have an eye towards Jesus coming back in glory to lead us into that greater promised land that we await, the new heavens and the new earth. And pastors need to be hopeful with an eye towards the future. We need good shepherds who are hopeful with an eye towards the future. You know, I I really still remember um, vividly an experience that I had where I learned the power of hope. I I was um, a young pastor here in Phoenix, and I remember uh, the first few years were just super difficult trying to balance everything, and I felt like I just was sort of failing, like kind of all over the place, and uh, it, it got to a point where I was like, man, I just need to go talk to somebody, and I went and um, I, was, I was talking to a, a pastor, counselor, friend of mine, and I went in, and I'd been so prepared and equipped to like tell him about all the ways that I'd been failing, and so I had this whole narrative ready, and I went, and I sat down, and I felt like, okay, before I go, I need to gird my loins, because this is going to be rough. I know that he's going to come out with a rod, and he's going to whack me, so I need to be ready for the whack, but it's a good whack, and I need to get hit hard, so it just knocks this junk out of me. And so I went in and I sat down and I shared with him about all the ways that I felt like, you know, man, I'm, I feel like I'm not doing well here at the church and here with the family and like I'm not even like having a good like, you know, private life together and I'm just struggling and I, I, need, I need you to speak in my life. And I remember just sitting there and saying like, okay, I've told you about how messed up I am, so go ahead, I'm, I'm ready. And I was like sort of just like grinning and bearing it, like, all right, let's go. And I, I'll never forget what happened in that moment that just absolutely startled me. He said, I'm just so encouraged. I'm like, whoa, did you not just hear me? Like, that was some messed up stuff. I just shared with you, like, how, like, I need you to tell me how broke I am. And he said, no, I I want you to know that I am so encouraged because it's evident that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, bringing about conviction, bringing about a hope to be different, a hope to change. And, And I don't even think you've noticed some of the evidences of grace that I've heard as I've listened to you. And I'm sitting there listening to him, and I'm almost, like, crying because I'm sitting here thinking, this is... Not what I expected. And in the moment of him doing that, I started to actually feel like new life enter me in a place where it wasn't. And I started realizing there's hope. Like we can, like there really is change. There's transformation that can be had. You really believe this? I've told you the ugly and you're ready to go with me? And I remember in that moment that, that he taught me something that was so profound, not just about pastoral ministry, but just about Christian life. And that was how valuable and unique and beautiful and glorious the hope that we have in the gospel is and how powerful it is to help true Christians who love Jesus change. We need to be reminded of the glories not just that await us, but that are ready right here in the the now for us in Christ by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit. We want pastors who are hopeful about us and about what God is doing amongst us, 
who know that our futures are secure and that God really can transform lives to the glory of his name. See, I saw what a treasure hope is. I hope that our elders more and more help you see and savor the hope that is in the gospel. But don't miss this. God has gifted the church with human shepherds or pastors to care for you between the the now of of waiting and the then of when Jesus gets back. Notice in verses 2 to 3, he says, shepherd the flock as God would have you. Shepherd the flock as God would have you. Now, I think Peter's already been instructing these elders, as I just said, but notice he speaks specifically to them in verses 2 to 3. And he tells them about what it looks like to shepherd as God would have them. Here's what he says. He says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to those, to the flock. As you look at this, you'll notice that Peter reminds them that they are under shepherds, and God owns the sheep because he is, it is the flock of God. Did you see that? It, it's God's flock. It's God's sheep. Just really important. Elders, let's start there. These are God's sheep. These are God's people. Now, I imagine that most, mostly Gentile Christians in this audience grew weary of watching and waiting on Jesus' return as, as they were sojourners and exiles. And they needed to be reminded that they, too, are the sheep of God. Can you see how that would be encouraging? Uh, Elders, like, understand you need to take care for how you love people. They are God's sheep, not yours. Uh, But also, think about this. If you're feeling kind of, like, neglected, and all of a sudden you're reminded, no, you've forgotten who you are. You're God's sheep. God loves you. He gave his son for you. He has not lost an eye towards you. I imagine as they heard this, it must have been encouraging. I hope it would would be. But don't miss this. Elders are responsible with caring for God's people, his sheep. And we are God's sheep. And God gave human shepherds to care for his human sheep. Imperfect, flawed humans caring for other imperfect, flawed humans. I like what Timothy Lineak goes on to say. In his book, he says this, God has a divine preference for human agency. Appointment by God includes calling, stewardship, and accountability. So the drive to care for God's sheep should be transcendent and otherworldly. Do you see how he's setting this up? Like the things that drive and motivate you to care for the people of God should not be the kind of benefits that you're looking for in this life. That's not the way to be driven. See, we love God's people because they are God's people and because God loves them and because we are his sheep too. See, one day shepherds will give an account for how they cared for God's beloved sheep, those he gave his very own son for, as a a sacrificial sheep to rescue, redeem, and restore them. God delights in using frail humanity to display his glory. And we as pastors get to show frail humanity at work glorifying God. So let me just say, as we begin to look at what they should do and not do in just a moment, let me just say on behalf of the elders, we would love for you to pray for us. We need your prayers because we feel the weight of God on our shoulders. The fact that 
we are actually caring for something that God loves tremendously. And we love you tremendously, and we need God's help, and we know it. So please just pray for us faithfully. Now, one way to love pastors well other than prayer, I think, is through joining our church and officially committing in membership. Now, let me just explain why. I know some of you are like, why do you have to get all like official religion on us? Well, here's why. Hebrews 13, 17 says that we will give an account for the sheep that have been entrusted to us. I believe this is speaking of an account to Jesus on that day when he returns. But notice here, the text says that we are responsible for the sheep among you who have been entrusted to you, who are among you. Like, not every sheep, but, but some particular group of sheep. And he says the same thing in verses 1 and 3. And those that are, they have charge over. In other words, these elders are not responsible for every sheep on the planet, but a particular group of sheep. And that's good news for me and our other elders, right? I mean, just think about this. If these are God's sheep, do you see how important it is to know who you are responsible for? I mean, just imagine for a moment that you got a gig as like, you know, a babysitter. And you showed up at the house, and it's dark, there are no lights on, and they said, here's the deal. We've got a bunch of kids in here, we, can't, we don't have time to tell you how many or what their names are, but you're responsible for them, and by the way, my husband's a judge, and he will put you in jail if you mess this up. All right, we're out. Does that sound like the kind of job that you want to sign up for? Like, absolutely not. And I don't think that's the job that God has called pastors to. I think God has called pastors to shepherd people who have said, we want to entrust ourselves to you, knowing that you one day will have to give an account for how you care for those under your charge. It's important. Now think about this. There are almost 5 million people in the metro Phoenix area. Can you imagine how much pressure it would be to be responsible for all of them? And can you imagine how much pressure it would be to not know who you are actually responsible for? And when you join Trinity Bible Church, you're actually committing to be the flock of God among the elders of Trinity who will give an account for you. You know, it's, it's loving and good for them and for you to do this. In fact, Ephesians 4.11 tells us how good elders are, shepherds are. Ephesians 4.11 lists shepherds or pastors as a gift of the Holy Spirit to the people of God, saying that, he, that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So if, you're not, if you've not entrusted yourself to pastors, it might be that you have not trusted in a gift that has come straight from the hand of Jesus. Not trying to be domineering, just saying like, This is a gift from God, and if you're rejecting it, you might be actually rejecting a gift from the hand of Christ himself. I don't think that's good. Okay, moving on. Peter says to exercise oversight or care by nuancing the type of care they are to show with three not this, not that statements. Did you notice those? Like, don't do this, do this. He says it three times. First, notice in 2b, he says, not serving as a have to, but as a want to. Not serving as a have to, but a want to. I think that's what Peter means when he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. See, you should serve not as an elder out of have to, a sense of obligation. We need to balance, I think, when we think about elders and shepherds, James 3.1, in his admonition that those of you who want to teach need to be careful because you'll be held to a stricter level of judgment. 
We, we need to sort of hold that intention with this, this other uh, teaching in 1 Timothy 3.1 where he says, those of you who aspire to the office of overseer aspire to a good thing, a noble thing. So, so it's a noble thing, but hey, be careful because you're going to have a stricter judgment. Like there's that tension I think that we need to recognize when we think about this office. But catch this. There is a huge difference between image, imagining leadership and imagining the, the power and the kind of authority that comes with that and feeling leadership in real time as you are exercising it. It's, it's super different. Like, I remember as a young guy thinking, like, leadership is going to be great because people are going to, like, talk about, like, how great I am, and they're going to follow me, and it's going to be easy. And then I started pastoring for, like, a week, and I'm like, I think I've been lied to. It's like the opposite of that. Not here. You guys are awesome. I mean that. I love you. You are fantastic. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Not even, like, making this stuff up. But J.R. Michaels says in later Essene material, this word for willingly went beyond volunteerism. Like, hey, I'm going to just do this because somebody's got to do it. He says it goes beyond volunteerism to include a joyful embrace of God's will. As an elder, you face weird things all the time. And when weird things happen to you, you rightly seek elders, Right? And when life breaks, you rightly seek elders. That's a good thing. God calls elders in those moments to joyfully, happily embrace weird with you. Like, that's what elders ought to do. And they shouldn't do it begrudgingly, but happily. Sometimes we need to, like, set appointments for this stuff. But we want to come in and embrace that weird with you and help you through it. That's what elders ought to do. And not begrudgingly or angrily, but with joy because they love you and they have the hope that comes from the gospel. I love what John Newton says. Uh, I don't know if y'all know John Newton. He uh, uh, wrote hymns, was a great pastor. Um, Should know John uh, uh, John Newton. But he formed a close friendship with another pastor by the name of William Bull, who was near him in a pastorate. And um, they, they kind of talked trash before, like, trash talking was cool. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I struggle because I love to play basketball, and I can't figure out if it's because I actually like the game of basketball or just talking trash on the basketball court. I'm still, like, working through that. But this guy loved to talk trash to his friend. And so in one letter, he said, naughty sir. You'll never hear me say that on a a basketball court. If you send a certificate of pardon signed by a doctor or a church warden specifying that you were too ill to travel, I'll forgive you for not coming to hang out. That last part I I paraphrased. See, they were good friends. He loved this guy. And Newton writes in one letter about a move that he made from his church in Olney, where he was near to him, to a busier church in Woolnoth. Now catch this. There he noticed that his work was often interrupted in a way that it hadn't been in the past. And he said, I would... In this letter to his pastor friend, I would learn to count nothing as an interruption. That's what he's trying to do. Nothing is an interruption. Because if I am broken in upon from morning until night, when at home, as is frequently the case, I have reason to believe nobody comes to me but those whom God sends. And I wish to be in such a frame of spirit as to feel myself equally present with him and engaged in his service whether at home or abroad, alone or in company, not impatient, but willingly. Can I just confess that like, 
this is hard for pastors who might not have gotten enough sleep or might have a lot of folks that they're counseling, uh, who might have any number of things that are going on, and yet at the same time to be reminded of the kind of patience that they ought to have with others, the patience that God shows for us. You know, some of you elders right now might be getting a little discouraged as you hear that description and say, I am so impatient, like that's something I struggle with. Um, and I want just to encourage you with the, the reality, the awe-inspiring reality, that our hope ultimately rests not in human shepherds, but in the chief shepherd who is so patient with us. And he invites us to grow in this. But notice, not only are they supposed to be impatient, notice uh, he says also, second, that they are to be not greedy, but eager to do good. Not greedy, but eager to do good. That's what not for dishonest gain, but eager means. Now, the same term for greedy is used in Titus 1.7, where Paul warns Titus to appoint elders who don't desire dishonest gain. Now, why? Well, there's a danger. There's a danger of embezzling or, or skimming God's money, as they would have opportunity to. Now, you might remember another disciple of Jesus's who struggled with greed, Judas. We know how that ended. But notice that it doesn't say that someone who works hard and is successful is not qualified. That's, that's not what he's saying. Not greedy to get, but eager to give is, is what he's getting at. Generous. Good shepherds are shepherds after God's own heart who serve for what's been given to them, not what they're looking to get out of a situation. See, greedy often characterizes not shepherds in the Bible, but wolves are leaders who are looking to grow fat off of sheep rather than feeding and caring for them in the Bible. So if you look at 2 Corinthians 2.17 or Jude 11, they speak of those kinds of leaders. You'll remember in Ezekiel 22.27, it speaks of these kinds of leaders, these kings. It says, her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey, shedding the blood, and destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And Jesus himself warns in Matthew 7, he says, Be careful of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then Paul warns the elders in Acts 20, 29, as he's leaving them in Ephesus with the charge of the church's elders. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Do you see it? Be careful, be careful of wolves. Or Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves. But don't miss this. This is God's word for God's shepherd. God's word for the sheep precedes this when he says provide well for pastors, right? So shepherds don't be greedy, but on the other side, churches care well for your people. So you'll remember that in 1 Timothy 5, 18, he says you should not muzzle an ox when it treads the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So here again, we see uh, him balancing this, this sense that you need to watch your heart and the heart is the issue. And Peter's point is not that shepherds should not be paid well, but that greed should not motivate and drive them in their care for others. Now, does he look to feed or eat sheep? Good question to ask about someone looking to lead. Now, that could be other things than money, though. Money's specific here, but there could be other drivers that are driving a pastor or a shepherd that are not godly. 
It reminds me a little bit of Michael Scott, that, that great psychologist in the office. You shouldn't watch it. Especially twice. But he says, do I want to be feared or loved? This is a great leadership question. Historic. He has a new spin on it. He says, that's a good question. I want both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. And if you watch the series, what you find out is is that's absolutely a great sort of description of his fatal flaw. He lives for the approval of others. He lives for people thinking much of him. And that's why he serves. And that's why he's generous. And that's why he does what he does. It's because he really wants something more than he wants to be generous. See, good shepherds are driven more by a love for God than even a desire to be loved by others. And what they might get out of that. In fact, the only way to love others best is to love Jesus most. And more than money. More than people. More than self-interest. Elders value God's glory above every other lesser good. Now let me just offer this quick note on this once again. Because we need to be careful and human about this. Even our best motives are mixed. Right? I mean, even the, the sweetest wine is mixed with gall this side of heaven. And so the real question is how, how self-aware and transparent about those motives are we in bringing them into the light rather than letting them hide out and fester? You know, I think one of the, the saddest churches is a church where the elders actually bury their weaknesses, bury their sins, and pretend as though they've got everything right and they're here to fix you themselves without Jesus. That's not the gospel. My guess is that if you try to hide impure motives, others are going to see them before you think they do. So the best thing to do is actually to find others to help you really work through your motives and whether or not your motives are pure. A good practice, I think, is is that when you are making an important decision that might be influenced by some of your impure motives, that you actually, you yourself, try to lead off with putting those on the table. Like, hey, This would be beneficial to me financially. I don't know if that's wise or if that would look wise. What should we do about this? Those are just some great ways, I think, to protect you against yourself and others against you and also to glorify Christ and model what it looks like to trust him alone. Notice also he says, not domineering but exemplary in verse 3. Not domineering but exemplary. Now this third description speaks of elders not lording authority of those under them. You'll remember that Jesus taught his disciples not to use their authority to rule over others. In Matthew 20, 25, he said this, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Apostle Peter, he spoke of himself as a a fellow shepherd And just as the chief shepherd Jesus became to be a sheep, elders are called not to lord authority over others, flexing their muscles, but to actually see themselves as sheep too. See, shepherding means coming along other sheep, alongside them. And at the end of the day, shepherding means modeling by way of example what it looks like to be a really good sheep. And at the end of the the day, human shepherds are no better than human sheep. They don't exist above the rules. They are not less needy for the grace of God. Shepherds model desperation for Christ and exaltation of Christ and savoring of Christ and submission to him alone as the chief shepherd. Like, I would just say, 
You know, when the Bible talks about how wives are supposed to submit to husbands, husbands need to model what that looks like in the way that they submit to Jesus. And in the same way, if elders are saying that you need to show a healthy submission to us because the Bible says so, they need to be even more so modeling a healthy submission to Jesus. That's what good, healthy leadership looks like. That's the job. Leaders submit. See, shepherds model this. Again, Timothy Laniac writes this, A good shepherd is one who sees what the owner sees and does what the owner does. He is a follower before he is a leader. He is a leader because he is a follower. And the shepherds whom God judges in the Bible are those who forget that the people in their care are not their own. That's what a good shepherd looks like. But third, notice what he says here, a word of hope in verse 4. Shepherd the flock with one eye towards the return of the chief shepherd. He says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus, just so you're aware, is the chief pastor of Trinity Bible Church and any church that can truly be called the flock of God. Of this passage, John Calvin speaks on it. He says this. He said, It ought also to be observed that he being Peter calls Christ the chief pastor. For we are to rule the church under him in his name and in no other way but that he should be still really the pastor. So the word chief here does not only mean the principal, but also him whose power all others ought to submit to, as they do not represent him except according to his command and his authority. See, Jesus is the chief pastor. In fact, every pastor fails to meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 in light of how Jesus fulfilled the requirements. So if you're an elder and discouraged by your own life before Jesus, be encouraged by Jesus himself as the chief shepherd. The fact that uh, you are leading, following a greater shepherd than yourself. And your job is not to point people towards you, but towards him. In fact, remember the, the best shepherds always point the sheep towards the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And sometimes that means humbly confessing ways that we have fallen short. Now, much will happen when the chief shepherd returns. If you read through the New Testament, uh, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. Not a good thing to be a goat, right? Uh, you want to be a sheep, not a goat. Matthew 5, uh, 25, 41 says the goats are cursed into the eternal fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. Not a good place to be. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 also says on that last day that even Christians, it seems, will be repaid based on deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Doesn't mean that that's the ground of your salvation, but that, that God does give according to works. But, but notice here that the chief shepherd appears, and when he appears, faithful under-shepherds are going to receive an unfading crown of glory. Now, you might be thinking, what is that? Well, victorious athletes or heroic warriors would have received, in those days, a wreath or a crown for some kind of extraordinary achievement. It would have been given to them to celebrate them, to honor them. And Peter says faithful shepherds should expect a reward for their faithful service, a crown. Of course, this in no way diminishes God's glory. Because we find that on the last day, after we have received these crowns, we are told that those crowns will be what we cast at the feet of God himself in worship and revelation. So the crowns that we receive are the crowns that are given that actually give greater glory 
to God. Don't miss this. Glorifying God now means that we get to participate in bringing him even greater glory in the future. That great hope. Now, I think that's good justification to encourage men to aspire to the office of elder as a noble task. They might get a crown out of it. Shepherds need this encouragement because shepherding can be dangerous. You step into emotionally charged events of people's lives, the weddings and the funerals, with broken relationships and people uh, in between, sorry, with broken relationships in between, with people who have been abused, and the list goes on. I mean, you're, you're stepping into messy situations happily. And Satan, Satan certainly loves to attack leaders as well. Did you know that? He likes, he likes to attack leaders. Shepherding takes time and patience. I love uh, what Justin McClendon's grandfather used to say. He shares a story, an illustration about pastoring. And he said his grandfather always told him to be careful around wounded animals. He said, wounded animals have nothing to lose and will fight for their very lives and often bite the hand that tries to save them because they are fighting for life itself. And that's true. And that's what elders are called to take part in. So you might be saying, why would somebody take this gig? Let me give you a number of reasons. Let me give you a number of reasons. One is because you're called by God. That means that you desire, you desire to shepherd people and you see fruit from your shepherding in your life. You sense that God has called you to this. You, know, you, look, you look around you and you say, I'm fruitful in the lives of others and I know it's not me, God's doing that and so I want to do more of this. Uh, second, Because they love God's sheep like God does. And it makes them happy to serve them sacrificially. Third, because God gives some the gift of shepherding to be used for the building up of the church. It's a spiritual gift. And if you have a spiritual gift, it's not just about you. It's about the people of God and the glory of God. Fourth, because they are gospel brave. Elders are gospel brave. They believe the gospel really can change lives and they want to be a part of that. And fifth, and here, We see because the future is incredibly bright and a crown awaits those who faithfully serve as an elder. They desire God's greater glory. Now we want here at Trinity, there's some adjectives that we we use for what we aspire to as elders. I just want to lay these on you. I've I've said them before, but I want to say them again. We want to be happy, humble, intentional, brazen shepherds here at Trinity Bible Church. And we believe those things go together. We want to be happy, humble, intentional, brazen shepherds. So let me ask you just to to pray and think about these final things as you go to how you can take part in encouraging healthy shepherding at Trinity Bible Church. First, pray for God to continue to raise up faithful under-shepherds here. Pray that God would do that. Second, let's encourage our elders when we see evidences of grace. You You might be surprised by the moments that God might use you when a, a pastor is in a difficult case and elders in a difficult counseling case where they feel like they're empty of resources and they're seeking God's faith desperately and they're wondering if they're really being fruitful and you come along and you give them an encouragement that just helps bring them along. You can be part of that. Let's notice evidences of grace in our elders. Let's protect their reputation and lives. Protect the reputation of an elder. Let me just say this. I don't know if you realize um, we have... I sincerely mean this, like one of the sweetest congregations, the sweetest congregation I've ever been a part of. It's beautiful. And I don't worry about this with us, but it's, great, it's a great time to think about this. The reputation of your elders, it is so important. If we lose our reputation, we lose our ability to bear fruit. 
Protect our reputations. Protect them. Uh, Let's communicate, fourth, let's communicate with elders when you perceive theological or relational danger. In other words, if, if elders are not above messing up, please come and share with us in private. Like, we might need to be corrected. We're open to that. We might not always respond well to that because we're being sanctified too. But please come and share with us so that we can grow in holiness and that we can be a more healthy church. Fifth, let's give elders the benefit of the doubt. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume that you can like read the cards and figure out exactly what was going on in their hearts. Give them the benefit of the doubt that they were actually trying to be faithful. And finally, let's always recognize that Jesus is the chief shepherd of our souls and every human shepherd will fall short of that glorious standard. When you look to the Bible and you say, this is what an elder should be, that's Jesus. And every other elder is aspiring to that as he aspires to that office, even as he's in it. So let's constantly remember that he is the chief shepherd of our souls. Let's pray.